I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The Drive Nation Podcast with Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel. Regular listeners will know that most weeks we pick out a topic and go deep on it for this podcast of ours but sometimes we choose a handful of recent Drive Nation posts and just sort of expand on them a little bit and that's what we're going to do this week starting with Andrew one of the first really big news stories of the year concerning Lotus. Yeah yeah Um, so we are recording this actually on Monday the day the news comes out the podcast will go out um, this evening Um, so um, yeah, Lotus has announced, well, they've announced two things. Firstly, uh, that their entire current production range, so the Elise, the Exige and the Evora, will all come to a halt this year. Um, and secondly, they have confirmed uh, one of the industry's uh, worst kept secrets, which is that what they call, they call the Type 131, um, but which we call uh, the Esprit, because frankly, that's what we hope they're going to call it, um, will uh, at least, uh, they've confirmed that car and they said that it'll go into prototype build uh, at their traditional headquarters at Hethel in uh, in Norfolk this year. So, I mean, lots to be sort of, uh, to reminisce about, a bit to be sad about, but I think possibly quite a lot to be hopeful about too. Yeah, I mean, talk about the end of one era and the start of a new one. It really is that, isn't it? That It's so unusual to see a car maker of any size essentially culling its entire range and then replacing it wholesale. Well, it's never happened. In the years. I mean, it's, yeah. it, to me, it's, as far as I'm aware, it's never happened without the car manufacturer going bust and never being seen again. Um, you know, uh, I suspect, if I'm honest with you, I suspect it's probably easier for Lotus than for most because I don't imagine that they're selling an enormous number of cars at the moment, what with the age of their ranges and obviously all the difficulties that we are going through and the time of year. Um, so maybe they can just say, well, it's something which is, you know, um, we, 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 we can do and, you know, maybe, as I said, it'll be easier for them. But, uh, you know, I, 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 I look back on, you know, the Elise with such immense warmth because, you know, I'm old enough to remember when Lotus was really, really struggling um, 
when they had, you know, when I came in, what do they have? Uh, they had the Excel and the Esprit and the Esprit. Uh, and the Excel itself was just a sort of um, facelifted eclat. Um, so even then, these were really old cars. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Esprit. There have been some great Esprits over the year, but, you know, you couldn't build a business case for them. And, you know, I always used to think that what Lotus need, needed to do was to build something which you know, was true to the reason that people, you know, bought Lotuses in the first place, namely a car that was, you know, that was yeah, light above all, um, but technologically advanced and, you know, and, and, and a pure driving machine. And then, you know, the Elise came along and was exactly that. And they queued around the block for it. And it was just a fantastically happy story. Now, of course, what I didn't think um, was sufficiently hard enough about how you actually make a viable business out of cars, which are, you know, which are, you know, it's 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 kind of the opposite of an of an SUV, isn't it? I mean, the reason that manufacturers love SUVs so much is, you know, you can charge a lot of money for them, um, and you can sell a lot of them too. Um, but you couldn't charge a lot of money for an Elise, and you couldn't. Um, um, manufacture them in, in huge margins so it's like low volume low margin um, it's kind of the worst of both worlds which is why um, you know they tried to do other things which cost more particularly the uh, the Exige and the, and the Evora um, and, and they struggled uh, not so much with the Exige but with the Evora they really really struggled because what they were saying with that was you know, here's a Lotus. It's you know, it's it, it's great to drive, but you know, um, we're putting it up there against you know against Porsches, against Caymans, and you know, bottom end of 911s, and you know, that's a whole different game, isn't it? You know, at that stage, once you're saying compare us to a 911, um, you know, the thing just has to work, and it can't have a rubbish interior, and it can't um you know have a terrible gearbox and and all these other problems um because even if it is you know light and handles beautifully these are things which people use every day and they just won't wear it um and you know obviously that's what they found out with that and you know it has been around for i don't know i can't remember when the avora came out but it must have been at least 10 years ago um more more than that i remember it was either 08 or, or 09 i was at lotus and I saw the very early cars coming down the line. Gosh, okay, so that's you know that's thirteen years. So their youngest car is a lot older than most cars ever get to be. Um, so yeah, um, uh, but so I mean maybe we shouldn't um, dwell too much on the past. Um, you know, although what, okay, what I will share is I can remember you know going back to this would have been ninety five, so even before the Elise went into production. Um, going and sitting in the passenger seat of one with a fresh-faced young chap called Matt Becker, uh, who is now the head of chassis development for, for Aston Martin, um, and being whizzed around wet roads around Millbrook and think, beginning to think to myself, gosh, this really does feel something. And, and that, that thing you always get when you do a passenger ride, you're thinking, well, you know, what am I learning more about now, the car or just how skilled its driver is? Uh, but then we got to drive it, and it was, you know, those early Elises, they weighed... I mean, 725 kilos or something, I think it was here. They remember they had those aluminium disc brakes. They were so light. Um, and what, what I thought was so clever about them is that they, they had just enough space in them. They had just enough of a boot um, and just enough of a roof to make them, you know, acceptable to your other half. Um, because, you know, and I think that's what um, Caterhams didn't do. I think a Caterham is a very, very courageous choice. Um, because they are, you know, I mean, I, I absolutely adore things that people listen to this will, will, will know, but I think the Elise, by being just that little bit more practical, just found itself an entire constituency of customer 
Um, and, you know, and it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. You must have had some great experiences in Elise's and Exige's, if not necessarily Avora's quite so much. Yeah, no, actually far fewer than I'd like. But um, yeah, every time I've driven, particularly in Elise, I, I just think they're magical things. Some, some of the more hardcore Exige's, I, and I think this is probably because of the cars I've grown up driving, mostly with you know, power-assisted steering and so on, I actually just tend to find Exige's, particularly on track, quite hard work. And I, yeah. I don't necessarily get back what I'm putting in. But so Elise's more so. I, I just, yeah, they're, they're wonderful on the road. Actually, a, an interesting fact on the weight of the original Elise. Um, so light that a modern Formula One car with a driver is heavier than an early wow. Elise. Isn't that just staggering? Is that right? Yeah. That's extraordinary. Gosh. <laughs> it's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But you, you, you're right. It's it, it was just about usable enough, wasn't it? Yeah. And at least that you could make a case for it in a way that you just can't for a seven. I mean, Autocar had a long termer, which Colin Goodwin um, used to run. I think he did fifty thousand miles in it. And from memory, I don't think anything went wrong. I think it was good as gold. Or if it did, it was trivial little stuff. I mean, it didn't have a sort of you know a major. Uh, embarrassing, um, you know, stuck at the side of the road moment, and he just he he, he good as we know, is bonkers anyway. But I mean, but he just he just went everywhere in it. I mean, he drove it all around Europe. He did, you know, and it was just, yeah. I, I have such happy memories of 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 that car. And you know, when people look back, it will to me, it will absolutely. If you look back over the history of Lotus and you think about, you know, the original Elite and the original um, Alain. Uh, I think the Elise will absolutely be considered as being as great as those cars um, in its own way in a completely different era. So, you know, no pressure, guys. They've got to go and do it all over again, haven't they? Um, and they're they're talking. So we, we'll come back to the Type One Three One in a moment. But Lotus talk about what are the, the very specific phrasing? What a range of new performance cars or something? New performance cars, yeah, not sports cars, not lightweight two door driver centric, just performance cars. Um, which I guess is just giving them wriggle room, isn't it? It just, you know, you can create anything, um, almost, uh, as long as I guess it's reasonably fast in a straight line. And, and, and I think that probably means, for good or ill, uh, and I can see it both ways, um, you know, that there are going to be SUVs um, coming down the track. And I don't like the idea of a Lotus SUV any more than I imagine most people listening to this will do. But, you know, you have to remember uh, the Porsche example. Um, and if, you know... If, if we bang on about how amazing the latest, you know, 911 GT3 RS is these days, you know, you have to remember that the reason it's that way is because Porsche has made so much money out of SUVs that it can chuck a load of that dosh into developing, you know, the cars that, you know, that maintain the reputation, uh, making them as good as they possibly can. So, you know, you couldn't, you know, you know it, what Porsche proved is that they are, is that you can't have one without the other. Um, you know, without the 911s, Porsche wouldn't be able to sell the SUVs because no one would want them. Uh, and without the SUVs, Porsche wouldn't, the 911 wouldn't be as good because they wouldn't have the money to develop them. And, and, and that is just the way the world is. Yeah. Anytime um, a, a sort of traditionally sports car manufacturer comes along with a new SUV or announces that there will be one, there's always a little group of people throwing their arms up in the air. Yeah, I'm one of them. And... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I suppose I'm like you. I, I don't like it, but I, I, I have to reflect on it in, in a, a more sort of holistic way and go, well, what do they get from not doing this SUV? What they, they can congratulate themselves for not having 
claim their slice of that particular pie or something. I don't know. But the, the fact is, in sadly, in the current world, if you if you want to be a solvent car maker, you need to do more than just build quite niche little sports cars, don't you? I think that is that is a reality. Yeah, I mean, I think you can, you know, you can be, you can sit there in debtor's prison, can't you? Going, but at least I, you know, I, I stayed true to my principles, and you know, that's that's absolutely fine. But you know, I think the, I think the point I would like to make is for a company like Lotus, I suspect the choice isn't between having SUVs and not having SUVs. The choice is between having Lotus with SUVs or not having Lotus, because if you don't generate the revenue, you can't make the cars you want to make. So they are necessary evils. They're like going to the dentist, aren't they? You know, nobody is, you know, nobody else, none of us enjoys doing that. But you accept you have to go and do it. Um, and, you know, um, yeah, that, 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 that's my current thinking. But, you know, but they haven't, you know, said definitely they're going to do it, although I'd be amazed if they didn't. Um, but, you know, clearly they still have to make cars that are lotuses in, in the form that we well, recognise them to be. And with that in mind, I mean, we know that they're killing off the current Elise, but what about the Elise nameplate? Isn't there just too much currency in that? Oh, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, well, I think you could only apply that nameplate, certainly anytime soon, to a similar sort of car. And I just wonder whether Lotus is going to want to. It's a difficult balance to strike, isn't it? Because on the one hand, you know, they know that if they created a new Elise and, uh, uh, and they didn't completely mess it up, um, that there is a, there's a customer base there. There are people that will go out and buy that car and they could count on that. But there probably aren't very many of them in terms of the volumes that you need, and particularly in terms of the profits that such a car would command because your margins would be quite low. So on the one hand, there's going to be that pressure thinking actually building a car like a new release and selling it for you know 30 grand or whatever um doesn't sound like sound business sense on the at the other end of that there will also be this nagging doubt that lotus has never sold a car successfully above a hundred thousand pounds because you know every manufacturer has a sort of natural you know place to sit and british sports car manufacturers are particularly prone to this i mean look what happened to tvr when they tried to sell really expensive cars look what happened to noble when they tried to sell you know when they tried to go up market um what what the market says is that you know if you're going to go and charge that money frankly we'll go and buy a porsche instead so you know they've got to find their their niche haven't they? they've got to find a place where you know where the volumes and the margins are sufficient for there to be a business case um but at the same time you know it's at a, it's, it's at a price that people are going to be prepared to pay for you know for a lotus um now I guess the great crystal ball trick is going to be to try to understand what people would pay for a Lotus if it was engineered to the same standards that, you know, a current Volvo is, which is the other company we all know, which is owned by the same bunch of people. Um, And, you know, if you could answer that, maybe if you created a Lotus that was as good as, I don't know, um, a top end 911 that you could charge 150 grand for it and people would go and buy it i just i just don't know but i'd be nervous about that i really would and maybe they have to build up to it maybe they have to come in with a car that costs 60 70 80 grand which is what i suspect the type 131 will be um see how that goes um but then again you know you don't can your entire product range and have only one car to replace it i mean they must know already absolutely what they've got coming down the tracks um it's really exciting isn't it mm, it is actually yeah it's a it's a 
a bold strategy. But when you think about how old the current cars are, you can see why actually it did need to happen sooner or later. Um, and yeah, to have a range of performance cars coming, okay, they might not all be exactly the type of car that we we sort of tend to, but well, we don't know for the time being, do we? But yeah, I, I suppose the issue with a new Elise is that people will think it should retail for 35k or something. But if you look at the Alpine example or the Alpha 4C example, building a really good lightweight sports car um, and selling it for 35 grand is just not viable, is it? Oh, I don't think it is. I think it would end up costing much more than that. And perhaps they, they're nervous that a 45, 50 grand Elise is stretching it a bit too much. I don't know. But I mean, it, it seems unthinkable to me that they'll kill off that nameplate forever it just seems no. like this but even at, but even much. at 50 grand i mean i don't I, I, i've not heard anyone say that you know an alpine a110 has made them any money at all um in fact i think i, I, I no. think we, we, we probably know that it's not um and it's kind of a sort of a lost leader isn't it it's a sort of stalking horse which will enable them to you know t- t- to establish the credibility which will allow them to sell you know the other cars probably suvs or whatever which which will bring in the money um and i'll bet you all the tea in china the four c's never made alfa romeo a, a, a dime um so even at 50 grand you know it's difficult so yeah it's 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 tough um and you know i say well, i'm quite excited about the future i am because i'm not the one who has to you know make the decisions or or or, <laughs> or, 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 or take the consequences of them but um yeah I mean, I, I just, I just hope so much that they, that they get it right. And, and you know, and, and on the positive side, obviously there's, gonna, there's, there's money around like Lotus has never had before. But also, you know, there are, you know, there's technology around. You know, there's so, okay, you know, I, I think if they could I, have one platform, they'll be able to spin almost everything that they need off that platform. Um, apart from you know the suv but they might maybe the suv will be spun off a, a volvo platform you know volvo xc40 which is you know a very good car and you know if porsche can create a macan out of an audi q5 i don't doubt that you know lotus can create something in its in its class that's pretty good out of a you know an xc40 so you know so maybe they can do that and obviously they're also all the powertrains you know good to go um plug and play two liter hybridized you know um, <laughs> So <laughs> lots of people will have switched off at all that stuff. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, but we'll, we, we, we'll see, won't we? Um, I, I do find yeah. it very interesting and I, and I, I wish them all the best. I really do. So, uh, briefly on type one, three, one, we know that we'll see something this year. Yeah. Um, we, there's a suggestion it might revive the Esprit badge. Uh, yeah. Other than that, it's all speculation, isn't it really? It is. Yes. We, we think it might be sort of junior nine eleven territory. Yes, we think that there are. I mean, there have been you know, nods and winks and rumours that it's going to have bits of Evora in it, and you know, and, and and I think also just logic suggests you know that what I was talking about earlier is they can't go too low and they can't go too high, so it almost naturally places itself in that kind of territory. Um, and it will be. Yeah, I'm absolutely. I mean, I will. I will be personally and professionally um more interested in that than you know than almost anything that comes out this year i think it could be an absolute landmark it could be another release moment it could be 1996 all over again um or it might not be bring it on okay right let's move on from lotus then uh and yeah uh, another post that went this went up on sunday yesterday as we're recording this um and it was significant actually because it was our 1000th post um that's quite a lot, actually, isn't it? I think 
we've probably we're we're close to publishing uh, half a million words on DN. Wow, wow! I'm glad you hadn't mentioned that to me. <laughs> I mean, thousand. I mean, it just doesn't seem like it. I mean, it just seemed well. I mean, you know, perhaps you should tell the story of because I mean, because you know, for anybody listening to this, DN was Dan's idea, and he was kind enough to come and talk to me about it. Um, I was about to say way back when, but it wasn't that long ago, was it? But I mean, it actually seems like well, like 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 last week, and I I can barely believe that. Between us, because not quite, but almost every post. I mean, I would say that of those thousand posts, nine hundred and fifty have been written by either you or me. Oh, more than that. More than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's all just flown by, hasn't it? Oh, it's it's really is. It's quite frightening, actually, how quickly time goes. Um, yeah, it's been two and a half years since we launched. Probably just more than three years since we first spoke about it. So, so do you think that in this moment, on the occasion of our thousandth post, and as people who've listened to this podcast and read DM will know, you know, DM's going to be a very different thing, um, you know, quite shortly. Um, do you think that we can allow ourselves just once a moment's reflection, a moment of self-indulgent nail gazing, and just talk a bit about? I mean, what, okay, what, what, what I would, what I would find interesting to hear i hope is just why you had the idea what was your thinking behind dn um and just how it came into fruition yeah okay well the original idea was a quite different thing um i remember that my my original plan was just to publish car reviews very brief short form car reviews onto instagram um and i i think I had all sorts of crazy ideas for what it might be called uh, and I'd play on the 200 word thing and maybe it'd be called something something 200. Um, that's right yeah we yes that's right we were going to call it something something 200 weren't we? Yeah we were and uh, but what I remember is so I had this idea I don't I'm trying to think exactly why I had the idea I think it was because even a few years ago uh, Instagram was a titan uh and it was becoming more and more sort of central to even, you know, the, the, the publishing world. But no one was doing proper car journalism on it. And I, I just thought that the two things had to come together at some point. Um, you know, the existing titles were using it as a way of driving traffic to their websites and, you know, to their magazines as well. Um, and then the, the sort of influencer crowd were using it in a, a sort of more organic way, I suppose, just building audiences but there was nothing in between. There's no one really putting top draw car journalism on Instagram. And it just seemed inevitable that it would happen at some point. So I wanted to try and get there first. Um, and I knew I couldn't do it alone. So, yeah, we'd been working together sort of on and off occasionally through Autocar, hadn't we? We'd, I'd, been, I'd been doing stuff for them and we'd done a few jobs together. And I said, I, I remember saying to you, you might have a slightly different recollection of when this was, but I think it was for, it was during an autocar shoot towards the end of 2017, um, near Wantage, uh, we were in a pub somewhere. And I think I remember dragging you out to the car park and saying, I've got this idea. I want to start publishing car reviews on Instagram. Um, and even before I'd finished saying perhaps that, you, you, you'd said, I'm in, let's do it. <laughs> And it was it was brilliant. It wasn't. Why would you do this? How is it going to make money? What how, you know? What's the point of all? It, 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 you just said, "I'm in," and it was brilliant. Um, it's it's funny because although I remember the event, um, 
it's not what I recall as being our first conversation about it. Um, uh, your memory is better than mine, so I'm sure whatever you say is right. But my, but my recollection is is that we were uh, we were outside somewhere, um, and it was night time, and it was warm. Um, and given that it must have been around the same sort of time, and the, uh, that auto car thing was a Christmas lunch, so we couldn't have been in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, but we were together in South Africa around that time doing a uh, a 911 GTS launch, which is, I think, the car that you brought to that Wantage event, isn't it? Um, and and I can remember in typical Porsche form that you know that they had cabriolets and they had four-wheel drive cars and they had um, PDK cars, um, you know, coming out their ears. But the car that everybody wanted to drive was the manual rear-drive coupe because, of course, that's the car everybody wants to drive. And they had one, didn't they? They had one at some which I can't remember what, I can't remember what track we were at. No, it's one I'd never heard of before. Um, it's only a small thing, isn't it? Yeah, um, and Walter had it, didn't he? Um, Walter yeah, was giving yeah. passenger rides round round the track, um, and so we went and nicked Walter's car because you know we we couldn't go home to our clients and go. Well, I'm terribly sorry, but the car that you asked us to go and drive, we haven't driven it because there was only one, and Walter had it. Um, <laughs> so we actually went and had a word with with Anya, who is the um, Porsche product um, chief in Stuttgart, uh, who also used to be. Uh, a journalist herself and she was a very understanding lady uh, and i say we nicked it uh, she went and had a word and said okay fine you've got the car but you've got an hour um because we need it back um and i think we're probably the only people who got to drive it and you know we did you know i drove out into the hills for half an hour turned around and you drove back and and, and then we had our story but anyway um what i can remember that evening over a beer you and I having a sort of surreptitious stepping aside and having a surreptitious chat about it, and maybe that's when we just decided we were going to go and do. It. I can't remember, but um, yeah, well, maybe you're right. Maybe we did discuss it then, and it just came up again later on. I wanted, I, I, but I mean, I that, those conversations must have been by definition over three years ago. Yeah, they were, they were, which is kind of frightening. But what, what? Uh, so after you agreed to get involved, I remember the concept evolved a lot. Um, and it was you that said, why are we just doing car reviews? We could actually do everything that a car website or a car magazine would do, but we'll just do it in short form in a way that suits Instagram. Um, and so that's when we decided, oh, yeah, we could do news and features and interviews and opinion pieces, everything. Um, and that's when it became a an Instagram-based car magazine rather than just a, a reviews sort of feed. Yeah. And then... And then... <laughs> you decided that you wanted to do this strange thing called a podcast. Uh, and I can remember going some way out of my way to, to, to persuade you it was a really stupid idea. Um, because who on earth would want to listen to you and I talking rubbish about cars to each other? I mean, I could understand that podcasts could work with, you know, famous guests and that sort of thing if they're properly configured and everything else. But just you and me sitting here talking about cars, I mean, I just thought it was the most self-indulgent, pointless exercise and, and quite clearly no one would listen well i mean it might still be self-indulgent oh, definitely but we've got that. a few people <laughs> we've got a few people who listen don't we? um so yeah there we go it's, it's it's interesting isn't it three years on since the original idea um I, I i don't want to tease people too much because we've done a fair amount of that already but honestly we've got such big plans and within weeks you will you'll start hearing about them um so do stay tuned um Okay, all right, well, that's the thousandth post. Um, can we talk briefly about the the Mustang, Ford Mustang Mach-E, which yeah. you reviewed for DM yeah. last week? 
Um, give us give us a couple of minutes. I mean, uh, you liked it, I think, didn't you? I think, well, yeah, I mean, it's one of those qualifier cars, isn't it? I liked it for a large, heavy electric car. Um, now, how much I like large, heavy electric cars is a separate conversation. Um, you know, I, I, I'd rather be in a Lotus Elise. <laughs> you know, that, 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 that really shouldn't surprise anyone. So, but, you know, we have to judge you know, whatever we're given in the context of, you know, the class it sits in and the kind of car that it is. And it's, you know, it's a large electric SUV. So, you know, that's a, that's a few things which in the enthusiast mind is probably going to be stacking up against it. Um, but within that type of car, I thought it did the job really pretty well. Um, okay, a few things that um, I really liked about it. I like the look of the car. Um, I liked uh, the way that it works. It's got this enormous... Um, screen um dominating the center of the car much the same way that you get in a tesla but it works better than the tesla system uh, and unlike a tesla model 3 you actually got instruments in front of you so you can see how fast you're going without taking your eyes off the road which struck me as being a fairly basic thing um uh, i like the way that for an electric car it delivers its power because it's not just all or nothing when you put your foot down there is they have they, they have engineered some progression into it so and we know that there is going to be a hot one to come. There's going to be a sort of Mustang Mac E GT coming, which will have over 500 horsepower. Maybe that'll be a very different thing. But it's, you know, the one I drove, which was the... So you can get them with four-wheel drive or with rear-wheel drive, and you can get them with big batteries or standard batteries. And the one I had, surprise, surprise, was the, you know, the full-fat four-wheel drive big battery one. Um, and that gets to 62 miles an hour, I think, in 5.1 seconds. So, you know, more than fast enough for most people. And, you know, I kind of... I like, it was a car that I quite liked being in. I could see that if I could live with all the usual uh, problems about range and recharging, which are common to all electric cars, then, you know, as a thing to knock about in, it was fine. As a driver's car, it's nothing at all. Um, you know, uh, and that will immediately get the hackles up of anybody who sees the Mustang badge on it, particularly when you realise that, you know, there are Mustang badges on it, what there aren't on it are any Ford badges, or you've got to look so hard. I think you've got to look at the corners of the windows before you'll see any kind of Ford uh, badge on it. But, you know, but that actually, I even get that because, you know, the car I drove, I think it was like £57,000, and people just aren't going to pay that money for an electric Ford SUV and you know so so the, so there's a commercial imperative behind it. I suspect what you'll also find is that you know Mustang isn't going to become a model anymore. It's going to become an entire sub-brand, and they will. It's almost going to become like sort of Lexus's to to to, to Toyota, um, and it will be Ford's you know upmarket brand or or, or a version thereof. Um, but you know, th- I think the other point I'd make is they're not going to stop selling the old one. They're not going to stop selling the V8 Coupe. I think if they just sort of said, here's the new Mustang, or by the way, it weighs two tons, it's an SUV and it's powered by electricity, then we would have cause to be up in arms. Um, but they're not saying that. Um, and, and I don't think that they will say that for a long time because it's not as if they're struggling to sell um, conventional Mustangs. And I can quite see people, you know, all over the place, and obviously particularly in America, thinking, well, you know, I love my Mustang Coupe, but it's not a very practical daily driver because there's no room in it uh, and it uses a huge amount of fuel and this, that and the other. So I'll keep that for the weekend and I'll have one of these things 
um, for the week, which, you know, it still looks like a Mustang and, you know, and I, and I like, I just like the brand. People do that, don't they? People buy cars just for the brand because they like the brand almost regardless of what, of what the car is itself. And they just like something that calls itself a Mustang because they identify with it in one way or another. Um, and I can see that. And, and, and more than anything else, I can see people buying a Mustang EV that costs fifty-seven thousand pounds in the way that I simply couldn't see them buying a Ford EV that costs fifty-seven thousand pounds. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's sad that no one has made a car like that, um, you know, decent to drive. I mean, the Mustang is probably better than most. It's not as good as an I-Pace, which is still certainly dynamically the standard setter amongst that kind of car. And obviously, neither of them is good as good as a Porsche Taycan, but that's a different kind of thing but yeah i ended up feeling reasonably well disposed towards it i mean i think i gave it a seven out of ten which i think is fair enough yeah decent isn't it um somebody on twitter made a very good point i think it was jim holder actually made a very good point about car manufacturers leveraging um names like mustang uh and it, it you know the likes of ford that's one of the the sort of biggest assets that they have over the newer companies like tesla and all those Chinese EV startups, they've got heritage to draw on. Um, and they're going to use it, aren't they? Yeah. They're going to lean on it. Yeah. And, but, but you can, you can, of course, that can work both ways. Because if you end up, you know, insulting the, um, the brand that you've got, you've got the, the nameplate that you've got, um, then, you know, you can end up looking, it, it, it can work actively against you rather than for you. And, I, and that's why I think Ford has been smart uh, and making it perfectly clear that the old Mustang is going nowhere. Because I think while that's the case, people will put up with a new one. In fact, people will be drawn to the new one. Um, yeah. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to having a go in that thing. Um, okay, let's move on again. This this post actually went up, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I've not told you which post this is yet. No. Uh, I'm it, got a bit of, it, it got a bit of interest, and that's exactly why I wrote it, because I thought it might get people chattering away. Um it's all about the BMW M2 CS, um, and I Ooh. wrote a piece about it because <laughs> it was. Uh, there's a bit of a spoiler alert here. Uh, this was a few months ago, but if you're still waiting to read Evo Car of the Year from last year or Auto Cars equivalent, uh, t- switch off now because we are going to give away the result. But um, the M2 CS it won Evo's Car of the Year test and finished last in Auto Cars test. Which is, you know, it's not unusual for cars to perform differently on different tests. But for, you know, to finish first and last is, I I think that's probably never happened before. Um, And I wrote this piece because I realised that there aren't many people who have been judges on a handful of Evo car of the years and a couple of Autocar Britain's best driver's cars. I have done. Um, And so I thought maybe, you know, I had an interesting perspective on this. Um, but Andrew, you you were one of the autocar judges. I don't know where you voted the M2 CS, but I wonder if you have a point of view. I on... voted it last. You did. Yeah. <laughs> now I think it's probably worth saying that if a car gets on one of these tests at all, it's not a total uh, hope basket case, is it? It's a, it, it, to it get is nominated not. And, 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 and you know that is a very important point to make. Um, you know, this isn't, you know, when we say last, what we mean is, you know, it, it was, if you like, 10th best of the 10 best cars that we can, 
that we drove in the in, in the in the course of the previous year. Um, but I mean, I, I can blather on about this endlessly. But you know, but but I, I, for people who haven't read the post, um, and, and as one of very, few, I think Harris is the only other, isn't he, who's been to both Evo and Autocar. We uh, think maybe Goodwin as well. Maybe Goodwin as well, but um, but certainly is the only person on this podcast who has. What's your What's your take on it? And I'll, I'll give you mine in a minute. But um, you kind of have a perspective that I don't. So why do you think that Evo and Autocar came to such, frankly, dramatically different conclusions about what was? It may even be physically the same car. Certainly the same sort of car. Yeah, yeah very pro- prosaically. I think there are other reasons, but the perhaps the most obvious one is weather conditions. Because these turbocharged BMWs with the Michelin Cup 2 tyres, if you get them on a cold day, and even, even worse, a wet day, they're, they're, they can be a liability, those things. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think you guys on the autocar test, it was wet for almost the duration, wasn't it? Um, it was. So it, car- it, it, it was. It was wet, or I mean, at best, it was damp. It was never dry, and it was cold. And that's another thing yeah. those tyres hate. Yeah, and so it, the car probably just felt spiteful and unpredictable, didn't it? I remember that on one of the autocar ones I did a few years ago, the M4 must be an M4 CS, was it? Or something no, like that. No, if it's one I think it was the GTS. No, I wasn't. I wasn't on that one. Oh, okay. So um, I think it was a different M4, but it was almost undrivable on on, on a wet Castle Coombe, um, and I, I just didn't get on with it at all. Uh, so I can well imagine that the M2 CS was a proper handful and didn't ingratiate itself to the judges because of it. Um, there, somebody was adamant on Instagram that it was because Autocar had uh, a car with a DCT gearbox and Evo had a manual. Um, I just wondered if you think that was a factor at all. No, no, I don't no, think no, it was. Absolutely, no, no, I, no, I, I really don't because you know what the CS would do um, at Castle Coombe had nothing to do with um, the gearbox. You know, it, what, what would happen is you'd come out of a corner and you'd be gently applying the power, and you would the last thing you'd be thinking about doing, regardless of how many pedals you had in your footwell, was changing gear. Um, and as the boost came in. Um, the the car would just um, start to get very ragged, and you know, and I think I I, I should make a distinction between um, okay, I know you went on that test, but the M4 GTS, um, which was, I mean, horrendous when I drove that, um, <laughs> one of the worst cars that I've ever driven on an auto car. I call it best handling, but Britain's best driver's car day thing. Um, the the M2CS was never that. Um, you know, it, it never felt undrivable. It certainly never felt dangerous or, you know, or, and none of us ever thought, what's this car doing here? Um, it was just a bit tricky. And, you know, and part of the reason for that was it was the only car um, which turned up on sort of, you know, dry optimised track day tyres. You know, we had a McLaren um, 765LT there, and McLaren quite sensibly sent it along on a set, on a set of bog-standard P0s, um, and it did extremely well um, on those. Uh, so I think a lot uh, is frankly down to the tub, but not all of it. Um, and this is, I guess, where I have a perspective. The Evo event didn't go to a track, did it? 
No, it did. It started on track and then oh, went up okay. to Scotland. Oh, okay, forgive me. Okay, but but, even... the, the, but one one of the key points is that they they seem to have dry weather throughout. Yeah. Okay. So I have, uh, and there may be others uh, who have done this, but I just don't know of any. I have um, just because I happen to have an M two CS for another job. Uh, I've driven it um, on a wet road and on a wet track and on a dry road and on a dry track um, because I was uh, I went and did a job with one at Goodwood um, so I know exactly what that car is like to drive around a difficult circuit in ideal conditions and it's really very very good um, there is no question in my mind that if we had had ideal conditions um, that it would have done better than it did but it, there is equally no question in my mind that if I'd been doing uh, the voting there is no way it would have won it um, against the likes of the 765 lt and the aerial atom and uh, whatever else we had up there uh, i think it would have done better i think we had i think it might have just squeaked into the top half of the field which is a huge achievement i mean there is no shame in that with frankly there's no shame in coming 10th you know uh, or whatever it did well, i can't remember how many cars we had there maybe we had eight or nine i can't remember but you know in coming you know in inverted commas last because you know you, you know you can only come last if you've been invited to be there and you've only been invited to be there if it's a car that we've rated more highly than the vast majority of other things that we've driven during the course of the year so you know there is no shame in that at all but um yeah i mean people have made all sorts of slightly unfortunate um, comments about the relative uh, testing abilities of the autocar team <laughs> relative to the Evo team. Um, I don't buy any. I know all the guys who do all testing with both, and you know, and you know, you don't get to road test cars for autocar or Evo unless you're at the top of your game. You just, you know, it's just, or if you do, you don't last very long in that role. Um, and you know, I have equal respect for both. I mean, autocar, you know, they, they do spend more time testing cars than anybody else because. You know, they come out 52 times a year instead of 12, and they've got a lot more stuff that they have to get through. Um, but I don't think that actually makes you know, any big difference at all. Um, and also, you know, I'm quite sure that all conclusions were honestly arrived at. And, you know, um, I think a lot of it is just down to, I think the tyre is important. I think the conditions are important. And, you know, in that context, and given how close contest these sorts of contests used to be, you know, people think, oh, one came first, the other came 10th. That's an enormous disparity. But it's not actually. Um, because they're all good. They're all fantastic cars. Um, and so what can seem on a, you know, on a piece of paper to be a, a vast gulf is actually is not so much. And um, yeah, I, I, I don't really think there's much more I can, I can add to it. Um, you know, I, I am surprised, I guess, um, from my experience that Evo made it their outright winner but i didn't drive the car that they had on the roads that they were on in the conditions that they had i can only report as i find in the conditions on the road and the car that that, that that i had and i you know i respect those guys more than enough to completely trust that that's the decision that they reached and they reached it you know for, for, for you know good and proper reasons um you did address it uh, in a sort of uh tangential way but can you i want to give you a chance to respond directly to the bloke on twitter who suggested that maybe it was because auto car, uh, the auto car judges don't get along with rear wheel drive cars and prefer front wheel drive shopping hatches? Yes, uh, I think there's a lot of truth <laughs> in what he says, despite <laughs> the fact that the cars we placed first equal were an Ariel Atom before and a McLaren 765LT. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I love guys like that. I mean, don't fly me with the yeah. facts. Just just go steaming yeah. right in there. I, I quite like the, the sort of tribalism that goes along parts of the, you know, the comments. <laughs> of that. I mean, th- th- that's the sort of bloke who is obviously clearly an Evo devotee and all power to yeah. him. Um, you know, I don't there <laughs> any problem with that at all. Just so long as someone might actually point out that it doesn't bear any relation to yeah. the truth. Um, no. Yeah, that's fine. Oh, it was very funny. I think, so... <laughs> Yeah, it was suggested by someone that maybe the autocar assessment is a more sort of uh, objective, rigorous assessment of handling ability. And the Evo one is more about character and sense of occasion and so on. And there, there might even be some truth in that. But the point I made in my post was that I, you know, from moving from one magazine test to the other, I didn't change my judging criteria. I was still looking for the same things in, yeah. in my winner. Um, but I, I think, nonetheless, there probably is some scope for a flawed but characterful and you know, you know maybe a sort of thuggish hooligan car to do well on the Evo test. Yeah, I think I think, I think there might be something in what you say. I mean, you know, the auto car thing, it, it is quite it's quite focused. We, for instance, we try not to pay um, really very much attention to things like uh, how much power cars have, how they sound. It, it, you know, that's why I, in, in my mind's eye, and that's why actually internally within Autocar, it's always referred to as handling day. Even though for, you know, for newsstand purposes, they call it Britain's best driver's car. What it actually is, it's a handling measure and it's quite a, a narrow definition. And, and what, because to us, you know, the amount of fun a car is, is pretty much down to how well it handles um because we for you know pure driving pleasure we rank that so much more highly than you know straight line speed or or, or anything else so you know it is quite so so we do perhaps focus in on those things um and not therefore focusing on you know stuff i was talking about like you know acceleration and noise and you know, and that sort of thing so maybe that is a difference and maybe that explains some of it i suspect it's like all these things it's just a combination of different factors it's certainly no one thing um, and it's certainly not because, you know, we've got a downer on BMW or Evo had a downer on whichever car they placed last. It's just, you know, it's just what we found with the criteria that we operate by on the, on the days and in the conditions on the road that we found. I think it'd be really dull if the same car won these tests, you know, across the board. It would be, it, I suppose it does happen sometimes, doesn't it, when there's a new GT3 or whatever. But it, I think it's interesting. It's a talking point at the very least, isn't it? Um, so yeah more of that stuff I reckon Um, okay well we need to start wrapping this up but I want to talk briefly about uh, an event over the weekend Rally Monte Carlo oh yes did you follow it at all no Interesting. Okay, Sorry. So let me, Sorry, let I mean, me bring I, you up to speed. I, 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 I should have done, but I don't know if you noticed it, Dan. We, 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 we've got a bit of work on our plates at the moment trying to get whatever this <laughs> thing we've done for the last three years is, is, is going to be. And I, I've, um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm guilt tripping you here, aren't I? No, you're um, right. I, I, I didn't follow it closely myself, but I had half an eye on it. Um, uh, anyway, it's, so let me fill you in then. Go on. Um, obvi- <laughs> predictably enough, Sebastian Ogier, um, Toyota driver, won. It was his eighth Rally Monte Carlo win, which is a record and just a staggering achievement given how difficult and unpredictable that rally is. Um, so, yeah, no real surprise that he won. The Hyundais of Thierry Nerville and Octanac weren't really the factor that I thought they would be. Octanac ultimately retired um, and Thierry, uh, I, I, can't, I, didn't, I didn't spot why actually, but he... 
he wasn't all that competitive. He finished third in the end, which is a decent result. Um, but the, I suppose the interesting point was that Ogier's teammate, Welshman Elfin Evans, came second, which is in, in a Yaris, just a, actually a huge achievement. How far, um, how far behind Ogier was he? Do you know? Well, something like half a minute. Okay. Which, which isn't you know, that, lot, that much, is it? Not really, but Ogier was protecting a lead. Um, you know, he, he knew he knew he didn't need two minutes that, and he wasn't going to shed 30 seconds to anybody on that rally in a stage, for instance. So, yeah, it was just Ogier being very, very clever. Um, ultimately, I don't think Evans quite had the pace to to beat him on that event. But, you know, he beat everyone else um, and it uh, sets uh, up uh, a fascinating... It sets up a fascinating year because there will be rallies that... Elfin is quicker on and he will win a couple I'm sure and the Hyundai boys will be back at the front you know competing for wins um and I just think it's going to be a fascinating title showdown uh and I I can't wait but I'm more interested in what you think of the World Rally Championship and why it is that it's not on your radar the way Formula One is well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, when I watch it, I think it's a, it's just like a, an habitual thing. It's because I'm so used to watching Formula One. It's it's kind of in my mind. It's on my radar. Um, and so I do. Um, and, you know, there probably is. I don't even know this. There probably is a thing I could go and watch where within, you know, in, a, in the amount of time I devote to a Formula One race, I can watch an entire, you know, however many days um, a Monte Carlo rally takes place. And, and I should do that because I, I love watching it. When I suddenly saw, when I sort of saw some, sometimes I sit there and I'm just sort of, you know, surfing around, seeing what's on, and I suddenly see there's a rally. I'll always go and watch it, um, and I think the the cars are really, really exciting, um, and the competition is obviously really, really good. You know, there's a Brit out there now who is, you know, he came within an ace of doing it last year, didn't he? Um, of becoming our first um, WRC world champion since Richard Burns, um, and. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've got no excuses. I should be just more into it than I am. It's just because I'm a I'm a creature of habit, um, and it's just it's just not on my radar sufficiently. So, you know, more coverage, more uh, you know, more media, more stuff on telly, and I come over to it. And I, I just hope that he. Do you think that Elvin is uh, because he's not a young lad anymore, is he? Um, but, but, no, but he's he, a bit, bit younger than me, so he's in his early 30s. Yeah, so, um, but he's obviously had an awful lot less time absolutely at the top in a front-running car than, than Ogier has had. So do you think that you know, Ogier presumably isn't going to get any better than he is now? Um, do you think that Elfin still has stuff to learn and that the gap between them will narrow further? So do you, do you, can we expect, is what I'm asking, that during the course of the season... Uh, that relatively speaking, uh, Elfin will do better than Ogier just because he's still improving and Ogier is absolutely at the top of his game. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, is there a gap to be closed there? Will it close? Uh, I don't know, actually. We're going to have to wait and see that. But Ogier is so clever over the course of a rally and over the course of a championship. Um, he's mega consistent and he, he doesn't he, he doesn't throw away a lead needlessly. Um so he's just incredibly difficult to beat over the course of a season. Um, but Elfin took a massive step forward at the start of last season when he got in the Toyota. Um, and he was all of a sudden one of the leading um, protagonists in the title fight. And he hadn't been before. Um, so, I, yeah, I think, I think he'll probably be even more of a factor this season because he, he came so close last year. Um, he'll want to put that right 
But also there's a, and I think it's kind of typical with dominant sports people, and I think at some point it might happen with Hamilton as well. At, at some point, the youngster, the younger guy or girl, just has more hunger, more yeah. to prove. Yeah. They're prepared to take bigger chances um, than the guy who's won all these titles and is already recognised as a true great of the sport. And but, 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 there has to be a tipping point somewhere, doesn't there? Yeah, and, and that's, that's one of the reasons I asked about, about his age, because if he was 22 rather than 32, then you know, I think that would absolutely be a factor. I mean, the other thing which I, I, I don't know the answer to, but you definitely will, is... Is one of the problems that Elfin will have is that he's in a team and driving a car that's been built around its number one driver. Um, or, you know, we, we often, people always used to complain about this, didn't they, when, um, when they were Schumacher's um, teammates. Um, that, you know, one of the reasons that they never did as well as Schumacher was the car was designed for Schumacher to drive and he liked his cars to be a certain way. And, uh, you know, and, and others found that very, very pointy. Um, set up almost impossible to manage with. Now, it, it, presumably in rallying, there's so much more you can do with the cars and in, in terms of the way that you alter the setup that, um, you know, Elfin isn't at an automatic disadvantage because he's in a team which is configured around Oji. I don't know. Is, is, is there something in that? Uh, I'm not sure there is because I think they joined Toyota at the same time. Or yeah. maybe... Ogier got there a year sooner. I don't know, but the, the but, Yaris has been around for a little while. But if, but if Ogier um, said, I want something like this... And Elfin was mm. thinking, oh, I'd rather it wasn't like that. I mean, they will just do what OGA want, won't they? Presumably. It's, it's possible. Yeah. It is possible. But um, Elfin has, at times last year, he was genuinely quicker. Yeah. Which is you amazing, know, not really, isn't the, it? You know, it, oh, I, I, yeah. I mean, OGA is, well, I don't know whether you'd yet say he's as good as, as Loeb, but he's, you know, if, if anybody was, it's him, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And there's Elfin out there, you know, quite often going quicker. I mean, I can, I can remember I went a few years ago, I went up to Cumbria and I was driven around in an R5 Fiesta by Elfin, um, which I, I just couldn't compute because you never can when you sit next to these guys. But I can remember talking to Malcolm Wilson and, and, and saying to him, um, because he was on, Elfin was, he was using the DMAC tyre at the time, which wasn't as good as whatever um, tyres the front, you know. Um, so, and I said, you know, how good is he or how good can he be? Uh, and Malcolm was saying, well, you know, his potential is not yet realised, but do not doubt that if anybody finds a way of getting out of him what he has to give, then he could be as good as any. I said, well, as good as Colin and Richard. And he went, absolutely. Mm. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive, isn't it? There's no doubt. There's no doubt, particularly since he got in that Toyota. Every, at the start of every rally, you're, you, you quite fancy him to, to lead the thing, to win stages, to maybe win it. Um, so yeah no question he's a factor and he's in the right car which is great after all these years we finally got a Brit right at the forefront of the WRC and I love it uh, you know it's it, it's it's been it was really fun to follow last year and I hope this year's right, okay. Be the okay New Year's resolution a bit late to it but nevertheless yep. it's still January I'm <laughs> going to watch the WRC I'm going to watch as much okay I'm going to rely on you to tell me when okay. each rally is on uh, and, and, and where I can watch it on telly and then I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch it Okay, and we'll talk about it a bit on the podcast. That'd be great. Good stuff. All right, well, there we go. We'll leave that one there. Um, that was good fun. Uh, so what do I have to tell you all? I have to tell you all to rate and review the podcast, uh, subscribe to it. Um, also, check us out on Patreon. Patreon. I, maybe I should spell Patreon out because it's not obvious, is it? P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com forward slash drive nation. Uh, and basically, you can bung us a couple of quid a month if you want to. And in return, you'll get some exclusive patron-only 
um, written written content from Andrew and me. Yeah, I mean, there, there's um, actually quite a good library of stuff up there now, isn't there? Yeah, and you can see it all. You can see yeah. everything that we've posted up there. Yeah. So, that, yeah, what... There's probably half a year's worth of stuff up there that you can go and look through. Yeah. Um, so please do consider doing that. It makes a huge difference. Um, and apart from that, well, yeah, we'll be back again next week to talk to you. Um, and thank you, Andrew, for your time. Not at all. Um, thank you, one and all. Um, enjoyed it as ever. Um, we'll see you this time next week. The Drive Nation podcast with Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel. 